So Father, now as we come to your word, I pray that you would give us the grace we need to, to hear you speak. And I pray that you would speak, speak into our particular situation, but speak into every single heart. There's no way any human can do that, but you can. And I pray that you would do this morning what only you can do. I pray that you would break our hearts. I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, comfort us where we need to be comforted. And I pray that we would not just learn, but that we would leave ready to do what we see in your word. Help us to be doers of your word, not just hearers. But in, in, the next, in the next little bit, I pray that you would speak and that your spirit would open our hearts to receive your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. If you have a Bible, and Stephanie Gregory, I hope that you do, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. First John's toward the end of the Bible. Although most of the time we, we begin new books and start walking verse by verse, we're in a unique season in, in the life of our church. It's, it's just different. So when things are different, you, you don't just, you know, handle things as business as usual because business is not usual. Um, so uh, the Lord has really laid this passage on my heart this week. Uh, if you were here Wednesday night, sorry, you're going to hear it again. Um, it's uh, a passage that I taught on Wednesday night, but um, I think it's an important word for us, especially where we are. Um, I have one, one word of counsel for you this morning. Um, it's the title of our sermon, and it's Love One Another. Love one another. First John 4, 7 through 12. There are basically three headings to the sermon this morning. If you're a note taker, we have three headings to the sermon. The first is the centrality of love in the church. The centrality of love in the church. The second heading is the mechanics of love in the church. The third heading and final heading is the motivation for love in the church. So we have the centrality of love in the church, the mechanics of love in the church, and the motivation for love in the church. That's where we're, where we're headed this morning. Um, even, even before I read the passage, though, I uh, just, just wanted to ask you a few questions. And, and this, these are questions that every single church, it's not unique to us, every single church should ask of themselves. What should we be known for? Because I don't know if you are aware of this or not, we are known for something in our city. Now, it may be good, it may be bad, but most churches have reputations in the cities, in the towns, in the counties and communities in which they find themselves. What should a church be known for? You know, I, I know of church plants, you know, just being in seminary circles, tons of guys get really excited about planting churches and they all say different things like, we want to go and we want to be the gospel-centered church in this town. You know, we don't want to be the tradition-oriented church, we want to be the gospel-centered church in this town. Or, you know, we want to be the church that really reaches people that no one else is reaching, you know, and... We want to be the church that has tons of mercy ministries where we're actually hands-on in the city making people's lives better. We want to be known for that. And all of those are, are excellent things. And I, I, would, I think it's awesome for churches to be known for those, those, those things. But what should a church be known for? When people think of our church, what should be the first thought in their minds? Or maybe so that each of us can take a little bit of inventory, what answer would you give to that question? What do you want people in our city to think when they hear the name, the Church of Trace Crossing? If you have a pencil or pen, you might wanna write that down. What do you want, like what do you want currently, right now? Like no, no right or wrong answer necessarily, just what do you want our church to be known for? And I bet you haven't really thought about it, but whatever you write down on that paper, it impacts the way that you do life in this faith family. 
It, it impacts the conversations that you have. It impacts your desires for change in the church or, or for particular ministries in the church. Whatever you want the church to be known for, that's, that's going to drive your action and activity in the church. Because that's your goal. Whether it's something that you have you know, plastered to your you know, mirror that you look at every morning or not, what you want the church to be is, will impact how you live life in the church. Another question. How should any given church measure success? How should our church measure, measure success? Like, what's, what's our gauge? You know? What, what's, our, what's our barometer where we say, yeah, we, we got it. We nailed it. That was good. We look at the past year and we're like, yes, we're right on course. We're right on par. What do we use? You know? How do we know? How do we know if we've been successful? Because there are a lot of churches that are really, really busy that I wouldn't call biblically successful. How do we measure it? I would submit to you that love should be the center of every church. Love should be the center of every church. Why? Because we proclaim the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And if the gospel is at the center of our church, that means that love is at the center of our church community. It has to be. It has to be. The primary call on every single Christian and on every single church is to love, right? We're called to love God and we're called to love one another. And we're called to love those who don't know Jesus in our city. So if we're known for anything, if we're known for anything, we must be known for our love. You know, we're not always going to agree. We won't, it's impossible. It's, it is impossible for us to always agree. We're not going to see eye to eye on a lot. And you know, something that really struck me this week, we won't even all always be together. I mean, have you, how often do you think about that? I mean, how many of you just knew, you knew that in you know, November of last year that, that Pastor Landon would be gone? Right? Like, none of us planned for that. None of us knew that would happen. It wasn't even on his radar. The Lord moved. The Lord called. He does that without our permission. You know, he doesn't have to say, all right, you guys, uh, I'm about to make a decision, so I need, I need you guys to get together and have a member meeting so you can okay my decision. No, that's not how the Lord operates. Remember, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He doesn't need our permission. So he may move some of us. Right? If you have a job change, you're gone. You're gone and your time in this body is done. So I want you to consider if you're a member of, of Trace Crossing, you, you probably will not be a member of Trace Crossing forever. I know you won't because one day you're going to die. <laughs> right? Not, not proclaiming that word on anyone, by the way. But, but one day you're, you're not going to be. So our, our time together is short. So our time together should be cherished. So what should we do with the short time that we have together? I don't know, a lot of things we can debate. One thing we can't debate, can't. We have to love each other. We have to love one another. You know, I, my home church, I don't know how many of you know much about my home church. It's in one of the poorest uh, communities in Kentucky, and honestly, probably one of the poorest communities in, in the nation. Um, there, uh, I think there was one year where uh, it was like per capita, they had the highest levels of meth production in the country. Um, and, and so it's, it's a really broken and, and sad place. Uh, my family's been rooted in that community f 
forever. My, my granddad was the superintendent of the school in that community for, for like 20-something years. And, uh, you know, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my grandmother, like we're all teachers in that school. And we, we were members of, of the church that's right across from the school in, in that community. And I'll never forget when my home church pastor, uh, who's still pastoring there, uh, when he first came in 2000, I believe it was 2010 or, you know, 09 maybe when he came. And I was a senior in high school in 2010. And uh, he started talking about love. And it's really, it was really simple, you know. He came in, he just started preaching, and then all of a sudden he was like, hey, we have a new mission statement. And whatever, I mean, mission statements are whatever, you know. No one really thinks about those or takes them seriously. And yet he was like, here's our mission statement. Just love just love and it was like that's it (laughs) you know and for guys like me who are like in in bible classes you're like oh this is so theologically weak just love what just love who you know can we be a little clear a little more precise you know and i'm wanting it to be this like lengthy like Paragraph. Like, have you guys ever seen, like, the old, like, Puritan sermon titles? Or, like, a, J- a Jonathan Edwards sermon title? The sermon title is, like, that long, you know? It's kind of like Landon's passage in a sentence, you know? It's more like a passage in a paragraph. I hope he's watching. Passage in a paragraph, you know? That's what I would hope, was hoping for. And he was like, no, 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 no. No. We're, simple, we're simplifying things. Just love. I thought it was lame. I thought it was weird. Uh... You know, nine years later, we went back this past Christmas just to visit family. We walk in those doors. One thing is abundantly clear in that place. They love each other. They love each other. And they love every single person that walks in those doors. It's a community that loves each other. And I'm telling you, like, it speaks volumes. That's their reputation, their reputation in a broken community, which now sees somewhere between 50 and 100 people who are addicted to drugs in a drug rehab program that is partnering with that church, they are comfortable coming because they know one thing, they'll be loved. The power when love is central to the community of the church. You could go in and, and ask them theological questions, all their members probably won't have answers for you, you know? They don't know. You could, you could ask them if they've read the Bible. Some of them have. Some of them may have never read the Bible. They've heard the simple message of God's love in the gospel, and they've responded with faith in Jesus, and they're trying to grow. But one thing is clear. They love one another. Love has to be central to the church. In fact, love is the non-negotiable. The non-negotiable certainty and consistency of every church. A lot, a lot may feel uncertain and not consistent. And in the coming days and weeks and months, it may feel like that as well. One thing that must remain consistent, one certainty in every church has to be love. Why? We're going to get into it in just a second, but just quickly, God will never stop loving his people. It never ends. His love for you never ends. Just like his mercies are new every day, his love every single day is there to meet you as you wake up. Every single day you go to sleep. It's the last thing that you could think about is God's love. It's there. You wake up, it's there. You move, it's there. You sin, it's there. His love never leaves. That should be mirrored in his church. Or we love. It doesn't mean we always stay together. It doesn't mean we always agree. What it means is that love must remain constant. And if there's one thing that you should be able to count on from another brother or sister in this body, it's not that you're going to see eye to eye or continue, even in this fellowship together, but one thing should be consistent, that we love one another. All right, Evan's not panicking, so I think we're okay. <laughs> All right, so this intra- is a great transition. It's a great transition to our second point. So first, the centrality of love in the church. 
So you, you always can tell by the body language if everything's okay or not, you know? And, uh, anyway, all right, so our second truth, the mechanics of love in the church. So we just consider the centrality of love in the church. It has to be central, central, central. It's the one non-negotiable. We have to love one another. Second, the mechanics of love in the church. So, love is not something that we study and then put into practice, okay? It's not how love works. It's not something you study. It's not a subject. You can't take a course in it and, and, and learn all about it, and then all of a sudden, you love people. That's, that's not how it works. Love is not like a class. Love is more like learning how to shoot a basketball or, or throw a baseball or play an instrument. How do you learn how to do those things? Through practice, right? It can only be learned through experience and practice. So, so currently, I'm teaching Jude how to shoot a basketball because, of course, Kentucky, like, you know, baseball can wait, bas- football, whatever, you know, but basketball, we got to get that nailed down early. Um, so, so my son Jude's three, or no, he just turned four. Man, he's getting old. Um, he just turned four. And uh, how do you think I teach him how to shoot a basketball? You know, my grandfather played at Wake Forest. My dad was a, an all-state player. I mean, it runs in our family. We, and one thing we all know how to do pretty well is shoot the basketball. I, and so I know a lot of mechanics of shooting. How do you think I'm teaching him how to shoot? I, I have not ever stood beside, first of all, it wouldn't work, but stood beside Jude and said, okay, now I need you to put your hand right here and your other hand over here and put your body like this. And then you're going to shoot it. And I want you to go up, over, and then you're going to shoot for right over the front of the rim. We may mention some of those things in passing, but that's not how you teach him how to shoot a basketball. Here's how you teach him how to shoot a basketball. You go and you get a basketball and you go with him and you play with him. And he sees me shoot the basketball. And then I give it to him and he shoots it. And whether it's good or bad, like, yeah, dude, great job, great job. And he gets excited about it. And then he loves to shoot the basketball and he loves to practice. And that's how he learns. Same thing with playing an instrument. Like, you know, I assume like you could, Mitch could teach me all the mechanics of playing an instrument and then he could hand me a guitar and I, you know, you would not enjoy the sound that would come out of it. Um, you learn through practice and experience. So the mechanics of love in the church, it happens through practice. It happens as you are loved and as you love other people. That's how you learn love. You probably know this in your own lives. No matter what your home life was like, if you had parents who deeply loved you, then it's easier, quicker for you to know how to love other people. If you grew up and you had a family who did not love you, you had a very hard home life, it's much harder for you to love other people because it wasn't natural. It did not, it did not, uh, it was not instilled in you. It wasn't something that you saw happening around you all the time because love is caught more than it is taught. And we teach one another in this fellowship to love by loving one another. Now, what does love look like? Here's what we're gonna do. I'm basically gonna exposit two passages this morning. So with all the craziness this week, I decided to do something completely different, of course. So turn with me, keep your place in 1 John 4. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. What does it look like to love? What are the mechanics? All right, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all 
things. All right, we're going to divide that little section up into seven different headings. What does love do? First, love is patient. What's that mean? Love waits. Love does not jump to conclusions. Love always gives the benefit of the doubt to brothers and sisters in the fellowship. Love assumes the best. Love refuses to gossip because those who gossip are not patient. They hear something and they run and they tell someone else. They don't wait. They don't assume the best. Love is patient. All right. Secondly, love is kind. Love seeks to do good to and for others. What if that would be something that you resolve to do just moving forward every day or every week possibly? I'm going to do something good. I'm going to do something good for someone else. You know, whether it's just calling someone up and, and buying their lunch or sending a, sending a card to someone. Uh, Corey Smith, he sent, me, he sent me a card in the mail. I got it last week. It was so encouraging. It was really simple, you know, just like three sentences. But it was so encouraging, so uplifting. Love is kind. It serves. All right, three. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So, okay, how can we turn that positively? What do we do? You want to love others in this fellowship? Lift someone up. Lift them up. Love is not envious. It doesn't boast in self. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Instead, it looks for every single opportunity to lift someone else up, to build someone else up. All right? Four. Love does not insist on its own way. So love is patient, love is kind, love is, does not envy or boast. For love does not insist on its own way. Love is quick to deny personal desires when they come in conflict with the good of the body. Okay, so if, if your personal desires come in conflict with what's best, with what's best for the group, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. Love demands it. All right, number five, love is not irritable or resentful. So what's that mean? Love rejoices when others succeed and grow. If you're struggling and you're having a hard time and then you're in life group and someone shares about how the Lord's really blessing them, Satan will use that as an opportunity to turn you against your brother or sister. And then cause bitterness to grow in your heart toward God and toward them. Instead, we should rejoice. Love demands that we rejoice when others succeed and grow in our midst. You know, I feel like, you know, whenever I was leading a life group here uh, a couple years ago, uh, we would always talk about, you know, okay, well, how, how are we struggling? And then, like, how are, how are we doing really well? And it's like that last question, we're really uncomfortable answering, you know, we, I feel like most life group discussions are always, ah, man, like, I'm just failing so much. It's like, yeah, but I mean, how's the Lord working in you? How is he working through you? I understand, like, we're not gonna be perfect, but what is he doing? How is, I would love for life groups to be full of celebratory testimonies of the Lord's goodness and grace and power in our lives. And whenever we hear of that, we rejoice with one another, even if we're going through a difficult season ourselves. So it's not irritable or resentful. Six, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love is never, ever happy to see someone fall. I have been so grieved to see this, especially on social media. Whenever you have like a high profile pastor who, who falls in, in sin, it's, it's revealed that he's been living in sin and so his ministry falls, his ministry fails and people who have been opponents of that person, it's almost like they're happy. You know, they rejoice to see this person fall. We see it in politics all the time. Someone on the other side has a scandal and we almost are happy and we rejoice that we've seen someone fall, that should never be in the church. We should never be glad to see a brother or sister fall or sin. You see it especially if it's like, I've, I knew it. I knew there was something wrong. I knew there was something up. You know, finally, finally. No, no. 
We do not rejoice when others fall. Yet, we do rejoice in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. So instead, love runs to those who have fallen to help build them back up. We don't avoid the truth just because a brother or sister has fallen. We don't neglect that fact. We own it. We help one another. You are not helping a brother or sister if you see sin in their lives and you don't mention it and you don't call it out. Okay, so love is always on the side of truth, but love is never happy to see people fall. All right, seventh, finally, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what does love do? It believes the best of others. It hopes for the best for others. And it works tirelessly for the best of others. That's what love causes us to do, to work tirelessly, endlessly for the good of one another. And so just to sum it up, love is not always concerned with being right. That's that's not what love does, being right or we're correct. No, Love is on the side of the truth, but love is willing to lose. Love is willing to lay down. Love does. It works, it sweats, it bleeds, it cries, it laughs. The mechanics of love in the church. Now, back to 1 John chapter 4. think a lot of us know how we probably could love one another. You know, you could, you could come up with a list. You really could. You could come up with a list of things that you could do to love each other. And maybe you're feeling guilty this morning. Maybe you're like, man, I just really have not, I've not been doing this. Well, guilt is a horrible motivator. Guilt is beneath the Christian as a motivator. However, the gospel is an excellent motivator for love in the church. So our third and final truth or heading here, the motivation for love in the church. Why should we love one another? In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, and honestly, we can extend it all the way to verse 21. Seven, or uh, yeah, verse seven through 21. John actually gives us 10 reasons why we should love one another. 10, there are 10 reasons between verse seven and verse 21 as to why we as God's people in this fellowship should love one another. Let's run through these together as quickly as we can. All right, so verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Okay. I'm going to stop at verse 12. From verse 7 to verse 12, there are five very clear reasons why we should love one another. From verse 13 to verse 21, there are five more. I'm actually going to decide just to, just to discuss the first five. Just to discuss the first five because they are so beautiful. They're so beautiful. Reason number one. If you ever had a question, reason number one, you should love others in this church. Because, God, because love is from God. Why should we love one another? 
Love one another because love is from God. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. John could not be clear there. He's, he's very simple. And so what we see here are a couple things. First, that love is not natural to fallen humanity. It's not natural to us. It, we, we do not by nature possess love in and of ourselves. Because first of all, we are created beings who derive our very life, our next breath from the creator himself which means that all of our faculties, every single thing about us comes from him. We are what we are because of God himself and love is included in that. The only reason any human being on the face of the earth can love someone else and you don't need the Holy Spirit to love someone else, okay? A lot of people who are not Christians love other people, okay? That's, that's not the point here. What he's saying is, If you love someone, whether you're a Christian or not, it's because God has given that gift of love. For the believer, it's a more specific gift. For the non-believer, it's a gift of his common grace. Because every single person is created in the image of God. Every single person has the capacity to love someone else. Every ounce of our love for others originates and flows out from the fountain of God's love. Okay, so... Love comes from God. You should love one another because God saw fit to create us in his image, which means that we possess the ability to love other people. So right, right on the front end, love one another because love is from God. All right, reason two. Reason two, we should love one another. Love one another because you have new life in Christ. Love one another because you have new life in Christ. And John says it in a couple ways here. First in verse seven and then in verse nine. In verse seven, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Okay, so you have that born again language here. Whoever loves has been born of God. This adoption language, it's, it's, it's language that indicates a change of identity, a change of, Um, uh, from within whoever loves has been born of God and then in verse 9 in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him so because we are new creations in Christ we are given power to love others as Christ loved us now It is natural to us because we are new creations. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, living in us. So we have this unique ability to love in ways that non-believers are unable to reach because we have specifically received this amazing love from God in Christ and he has regenerated our hearts. He has given us new hearts. He has changed us from the inside out. And so now we have this power to love one another as we would not before. And what we see here also is that love is fundamental to God's character. So as his children, we bear what you could say is the family resemblance. We have been born of God. And so we are like our father who is in heaven now, who is himself love. And we'll get to that in a second. We belong to the God of love. Our father is love, so we must love. And God's love for us gives us new life. And in that new life, we are called to love one another. So why should we love one another? Because we have new life in Christ. All right, reason number three. Why should we love one another? Love one another because you know God. Because we know God. That's, that's the reason we should love one another. Look at verse seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and the last little phrase there, and knows God. Love one another, why? Because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Oh, what a sobering word here. John is saying to you this morning, if you don't love others, you don't know God. He's going to say a little bit later that 
you know, you're a liar if you say you love God but don't love others. Um, but here, he's saying something a little bit different. He's like, oh, you can claim to know God all you want. You can claim to know the scriptures. You can have all of this theological knowledge. But if you fail to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you fail to love, you don't actually know him. You're fooling yourself. You think you know God, and yet you refuse to love one another? You don't know God. You don't know God. But on the other side of that, just because you love others, that doesn't mean that you know God, so it doesn't, it doesn't work in the reverse. So, you know, we, we can affirm many non-Christians love, if you have, you know, family members who are not in Christ and, you know, they still send you lots of gifts and they love on you and they care for you. That's not fake, okay? It's, it's not like, well, you don't know Jesus, so you're not really loving me. No, that's, that's not, it's real. It's real. They're created in God's image and it's a gift from God to them. They are actually loving you. Um, love is a gift of God's common grace. Love is evidence of the image of God in all people. What John is saying here is so important for all of us to consider and reflect on. It is impossible to know God and not love. Impossible. Like, that's strong. The category here is very strong. He's like, you can't do it. You can't know God as he is if you don't love others. Which means, if we just follow the logic, for those who truly know God, who have truly received his Mercy and his grace, and have received revelation from him through his word. What happens? Love will be produced in you and through you. So, if you think you're that kind of person who has received this revelation from God in his word and who has trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, and you find yourself in a season where you are not loving others, I, I would beg you to repent. Confess that and repent and turn to the one who has loved you more than anyone else. So every time we fail to love one another, we act as if we don't know God. That'd be a great question. If you're, if you're doing something, next time, next time your spouse, next time your spouse does something very unlovely to you, be like, what, you don't, don't you know God? Don't you know God? You're acting like you don't know God. But, but for real though, that's what John says. If you, if, if you don't love others, John says, you don't really know God. All right, reason four. So three so far. Love one another because love is from God. Love one another because we have new life in Christ. Love one another because we know God. And four, love one another because God loves us. This is the most beautiful, verses 10 and 11. And this is love, not that we have loved God. (laughs) And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Don't you just love the simplicity of this argument? It's so simple. That's what I love about John. John's so simple. Not in a bad way, in a beautiful way. He talks about the love of God for sinners in verse 10. And you notice, he says, in this is love, not that we have loved God. And he's like, you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do something that was worthy of love. Some people are easy to love. And I promise you, we are not easy to love. Not when it comes to God. We, we have rebelled against him and sinned against him. And we deserve his wrath and his judgment. We don't deserve his love. But he says, this is love. Not that we've loved God, because we haven't. But he has loved us. And send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus has turned away the wrath of God by absorbing it himself. And he says, based on God's love for you in that way, love each other. Love each other. 
So here's the question. How could we receive God's love and not share it? How could we? How could we consider it? Consider how far God stoops down to love you and me. How far he stoops down. The cross is in full view in verse 10. Jesus becoming the propitiation for our sins by dying on a cross. God the Son taking on human flesh to die in our place for our sins. The humility, the lengths to which God went to love you. The inevitable logical question. Sorry. We'll make it. Man, Satan hates me this morning. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh yeah, you think God really loves you? Watch this. You know? Okay. Hmm. My iPad hasn't died, so my notes are still here. inevitable logic that John is bringing us to is if God who stooped down that far to love you has poured out his love on you in such a way it's almost like he throws up his hands how can we not love people who are on the same level how can we not turn to one another? We're not looking down on anybody. We're at the bottom. We're all at the bottom of the barrel together. How can we not turn and love one another? When God and his great love came down so far to love us. And here's the beauty of this passage. Even when we don't love God, even when we don't love others, God still loves us. It's a gift of his grace. It is a grace-centered love. So it's the gospel of God's free grace that frees us and motivates us to love one another, not guilt, because we haven't been doing it. So love one another because God has loved you so much and he's never gonna stop. All right, reason five. Last reason. Why should we love one another? First, because love is from God. Second, because we have new life in Christ. Third, because we know God. Fourth, because God loves us. And fifth, because when we love one another, when we do it, when we love one another, we showcase the presence of God in us. We showcase the presence of God in us. We glorify the presence of God in us. All right, we see that in verse 12. It's, this, this was my favorite verse to meditate on this week because it's so interesting. John says, after he just said in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he's kind of tightened up his argument there and it's, now he's moving on. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now when I first read that, I kind of thought, and I'm not trying to correct John or the Holy Spirit here, but I kind of felt like that first little phrase is out of place. No one has ever seen God. I mean, think about it. Like, if you didn't have it there, and, and you flowed from the end of verse 11, we also ought to want, love one another, and then the very next phrase was, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I mean, that, that makes a little more sense. Like, it just, it just flows a little bit better. But instead, he adds here, no one has ever seen God. Why? 
Why, why did he put that there? No one has ever seen God. And then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's, here's what we can say. We can't see God, right? God is spirit. You know, the, the kids in the catechism, they would tell you that God is spirit. But, so we can't see God. We can't see him with our eyes. We, we, we haven't seen him. And unless you know, one of you are like a time traveler, we have not seen Jesus of Nazareth. You know, we, we have not seen God. I haven't seen him with our eyes. And people in our city who don't know him, they, they won't see him either. They can't see him. And in our empirical age, people want evidence. They, they, they crave evidence. They, they don't just want to take your word for it. You know, it's, it's almost to them like, you know, believing in a ghost and then realizing, oh, I'm not sure that's a real thing, you know. They can't, because they can't see it with their eyes. Here's what John's telling us. It's, it's really cool. Even though, even though you can't see God with your eyes, here's how you see me. You see me in your love for one another. John's telling us, when you love one another, you showcase the presence of God in you, God abiding in you and you abiding in him through the grace he's given us, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we love one another, we showcase that to everybody else. Think about it. People who don't know God in our city, when they see a community that loves one another the way that John is calling us to love one another, they will not just see, oh man, there's a happy group of people. Guess what they're going to see? They're going to see God. They'll see God, the one they can't see. They will see God because they will see his grace and his mercy and his love working itself out in people who, by nature, should not and could not love one another. When we love one another on the simple fact that Christ has loved us and died to bring us together, we show him, we glorify him to those in our city. So why should we love one another? John tells us five reasons in in these first, in verses seven through 12. Because love is from God, because we have new life in Christ, because we know God, because God loves us, and because when we do it, when we love one another, we showcase the presence of God in us. Now, we don't know what the future holds for our church, and it's easy to say that in times like this, but honestly, that's always true. Now, you know that, right? Like, that's, that's always true. You can think that you know what the next five years look like. You don't. You can think that you know what the next two months look like. You don't. I don't. We, we just don't. We don't even know how many breaths we have left, right? The Lord's the one who grants all of that. So if, if you're feeling uncertain, if you're feeling confused this morning, I, I just want you to know, even though you don't know what, what the future looks like, God does. He knows and he cares and he loves his people. He loves us. God loves us. And he loves you. Not because you were really lovely. But because he's so gracious and kind and merciful. And so even though we can't control much, we can't control much of what happens in the church or in our own lives, at work, anywhere. There's one thing, one thing we can control and one thing that we should do. Love one another. Love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your great love. We praise your powerful name for the way that you love people like us. You call us to love each other, not as a means of earning favor from you, 
You call us to love each other because it's the only thing that makes sense. We have to throw up our hands. There are so many reasons we could give not to love each other. And then we're confronted with your love for us in the gospel and we must throw up our hands. How can we not? Shame on us if we don't. How can we not love each other, fellow sinners, when a holy God descended from heaven to love us by taking our place, bearing our sin and achieving for us what we could never achieve for ourselves. So I pray that your love for us would be power for us to love each other in this season. That we would not burden ourselves with trying to have all the answers to know everything, but instead that we would burden ourselves with love for each other. That we would find ways to be patient and kind. That we would would not boast, that we would not rejoice in wrongdoing or when we see others sin, that we would not abandon the truth Father, I pray that we would, in the power of your love, bear all things, hope all things, believe all things, and endure all things for your namesake. And Father, we need your grace to do this. We can't do it on our own because we fail to love you. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that you will never, ever, ever fail to love us. And your love will meet us anew every single morning. So may we meet one another anew each day and each week with fresh love. Because love is from you. Because we are new creations. May we act like it. Because we know you, the God who is love. May we love one another. And because you have loved us so much, may we love one another. And through our love, I pray that you would glorify yourself as a lost city looks in on our fellowship. May they see people who are loving one another. And when they see that, may they see Jesus. Be glorified in us and through us as we strive to love one another from the overflow of your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond through song.